doctrinal and helpful study to help you understand your Bible. Uh, and uh, we covered four of them last week. Uh, we've only got three left, so this is what we're going to do. Why don't you take your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're not going to re-preach all of them, but we're going to run through them real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> and uh, we said it last week, and probably the majority of Christians, the majority of Christians don't know more than maybe two resurrections. They know that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. And they know that one day uh, they're going to get resurrected. Uh, but a lot of Christians are unaware of these other resurrections in the Bible. Now that doesn't make us smart. That just makes us uh, uh, trying to obey the scripture to study to show thyself approved unto God. Amen. Uh, like I said this morning in Sunday school, we don't teach these things so you can uh, get a bigger hat size every time you go to the store. Amen. Uh, we teach these because they'll help solidify you. Uh, whether you realize it or not, it'll help you understand your Bible. It'll help you study your Bible. And it'll help you walk with the Lord the way that you should. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'll look at verse 1. 15, 1. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. So in our study of the seven resurrections, that's the first one, the resurrection of Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. I'll go over to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Here's the second one. And it took place right around the same time. The second, these uh, first two, as you see off to the right on the board, they are literal resurrections. That means they took place. The bodily, they bodily came out of the ground. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. <clears throat> I know this one was an odd one for sure, but it's in the book and I believe it and you ought to believe it too. All right, now look here, verse 50. The Bible says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks did, and, and the rocks rent. Look at 52. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. Now, that's crazy, ain't it? Now, when you were a kid, you didn't learn that. You didn't like, well, Jesus was crucified, and then he died, so forth and so on. Now, you learned about the temple. You learned about the veil being rent, right? Uh, but you didn't learn about this one, and that's because so many people are afraid of it. Uh, 53, and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. You see that? Uh, 54, now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. So here's the second resurrection. It's a literal resurrection. That means it actually took place. It's a token resurrection of some, some of the Old Testament saints, some of the Old Testament saints. Uh, that's number two. Look at Ephesians chapter two. We're dealing with resurrections in the Bible. Now, this one in Ephesians chapter two, this one's a spiritual one, a spiritual resurrection. Ephesians chapter two. 
Now, you've been given a wonderful book, and uh, the Bible says you and I are supposed to study that book, and Paul said to Timothy, uh, you should be given, uh, give attendance to reading, and in Isaiah chapter 26, uh, the only way you learn that book is not instantaneously. You learn that book line upon line, here a little and there a little, precept upon precept. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. I say that because uh, you should have a desire to learn the Bible. And if you don't have a desire to learn the Bible, then uh, there's something wrong with you spiritually. There really is. Uh, the Bible says in uh, Peter, he says in, I believe it's First Peter 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. If you're not a babe in Christ, then you ought to desire bread. And the Bible says in Matthew 4.4, 4, uh, oh, it just left me. <laughs> out just like that uh, he talks about man shall not live by bread alone you see what I mean but by every word and I know most of us we like sweet things amen now if you like vegetables you're kind of in that category of people that like to eat sand amen but some of you like vegetables and uh, but the but the Bible's like honey we said this morning Psalm 119 verse 103 sweeter than honey to my taste and, uh, but look at Ephesians chapter 2. You ought, to, you ought to desire to learn the Bible. You ought to love the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 4. The Bible says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherein he loved us. You notice that thing's past tense, right? Do you remember where, where God loved us? God loved us at Calvary. He, got, he loved us at Calvary by giving of his son. That's John 3, 16. Verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. Look at verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You realize that the moment you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you had a spiritual resurrection take place, and what happened is your spirit, which was dead, amen, it was dead in trespasses and sins, it was dead and it was reborn. And the moment your spirit was reborn, it was baptized into Jesus Christ. You were put into his body, and instantaneously your dead spirit was resurrected and put up in the third heaven. And he hath, uh, it says right here in verse 6, raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's why you can kind of be like a schizophrenic. Because part of you is already up there. And the party is down here. And that's why when you hear preaching or you read your Bible, you can get excited. That's why when you sing songs about Zion, you sing songs about going home, they excite you. Why? Because you're up there and God the Father is going, yeah, that's good, isn't it? <laughs> Amen. And he, that's a spiritual resurrection. And that's the spiritual resurrection of a dead sinner the moment he believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, moving upward and onward. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6 you realize that before you got saved you're dead and then when you trust Jesus Christ as your savior uh, you're spiritually born but you have a dead body you have a dead body so you're, you can be classified as a zombie <laughs> look at Romans 6.1 the Bible says what shall we say then Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin? You see that? 
You know, whenever I come across a passage like that in the Bible, you ought to write that down somewhere, either in the margin of your Bible or on a note card or something. All throughout the Bible, you're told that once you're saved, you're dead. You're dead. You know why you sin? Because you forget to reckon that you're dead. You just forget. You're just like, oh, you know, oh, no, I'm very much alive. No, you're dead. And the thing of it is, is when you sin now, it's not because you have to, it's because you want to. Before you got saved, you sinned because you had to. You had no choice. But he says here, uh, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? All right, you see that? So we preached that this morning. Baptism is like a death. Baptism is a representation of the death, burial, and resurrection. Did you do anything to accomplish the new life in you? then you have to come to the conclusion that you didn't do anything to accomplish the death in you either. And that death is death to self and death to flesh. And a lot of Christians get that thing all sideways, thinking that the more you do, the more you die. But the more you do, the less you die. And many times, the more you do, it's because you're carnal. He says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead... By the glory of the Father, notice how the King James translators put it, even so we also will walk in newness of life. What does it say? You should. You know why they put that there? Because you don't always do it. <laughs> you get these Baptists, these Southern Baptists, and I'm, I'm talking about location. I'm not talking about the SBC. You get these Baptists down south, and you, you have some of them in, in the state of Michigan too, and they say, if you're saved, then you'll do this. If you're saved, well, well, then you'll make church a priority. That's what they'll say. I'm like, I don't know about that, man. You don't make church a priority. It don't make you unsaved. It just makes you not here. Right? Be practical for a second. Well, if you're saved, I'll tell you what you wouldn't do. You wouldn't dare. And then they'll list off what they're not doing. But that verse right there says, he says, even so, we also should. Walk in newness of life. But that thing's accomplished by what we said, preached this morning in Joshua chapter 3, verse 3. Just like that priest went down into the Jordan River, he had to stand still. He could do nothing to get the waters to part. And that represents a death in your life. So the spiritual resurrection of a dead sinner when he believes on the Lord Jesus Christ is accomplished at the moment of salvation. So the moment you got saved, you had a spiritual resurrection take place inside of you and that you're raised up together with him. And you sit together with him in heavenly places. And now you're right there in the book of Romans. Go to chapter 11. Now these are resurrections in the Bible. The first two were literal. The second one is spiritual. Now this one's national. This one's national. Romans chapter 11. Look at verse 25. Bible says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Uh, we covered this when we went through the seven mysteries. Lest ye should be wise in your own conceit. You need to hang on to that thing because you see a man messing around with the physical blessings of this earth and replacement theology. Are you going to find a man that's wise in his own conceits? All right? It says that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And the fullness of the Gentiles is just about right around the corner. Uh, the times the Gentiles are done, but the fullness is just about to ring out. You say, how do you know? Well, Israel went into the land in 1948. In 1948, the time of the Gentiles was over because Israel became a ruling power again. And what happens is you find over there in the book of Song of Solomon 
that the keeper there, the keeper of the vineyard, you know when he comes back? He comes back in the time of spring, and he comes back when, uh, when, when the vineyard is producing fruit. You know what Israel's not doing right now? They're not producing any fruit. So they're going to start producing fruit here uh, in a spiritual sense here uh, right at the end of the tribulation. So the time, fullness of the Gentiles is just about done, about ready to wrap that thing up. But here, look in verse uh, 20, uh, 26. <clears throat> it says, And so all Israel shall be saved, that's future, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, that's the Lord Jesus Christ on the white horse, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. And in one day that entire nation is reborn. One day. But it's going to have to get that nation of Israel down to a couple hundred Jews most likely. Now look at this. It says, as concerning the gospel, they are what? Enemies. You notice who the biggest uh, egregious sinners in uh, the U.S. government are? They're Jews. You ever heard of Nancy Pelosi? You ever heard of Chuck Schumer? They're Jews. You ever heard of Dianne Feinstein? They're all Jews. And they have power and they have money because they have the physical blessings of this earth. But they're against the gospel. But here's the thing. As concerning the gospel, they're enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. And that thing lines up right with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 to 6 there. And uh, it says, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. You've got to remember that. You say, what does that have to do with anything? God called them his people, right? They're the apple of his eye. And he's not going to repent over that thing. Likewise, when God gives you what he gives you for your Christian life, and he gives you the abilities, and he gives you the gifts, and he gives you the talents, and he gives you the, the wherewithal to do what you do, he's not sorry about it. That's why you can get a preacher, and he's surely a great preacher, and he can get up there and he can build a mighty work because God's given him the gift to do it. And he'll be in sin for a number of years and he'll still have a thriving work. You want to know why? Because God gave him the gift to do it. And the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So God's given you what he's given you for his honor and for his glory and for the edification of the body of Christ. And whether or not you do anything with it, you got it. And there's a lot of buzzard Christians out there that ain't doing squat with what they've been given. But that's not the message, but that'll preach. But we're talking about the national resurrection of Israel as a nation. We won't read Ezekiel chapter 37 in the whole, but as you know, that's the valley of dry bones. And that represents the nation of Israel coming together as they did 1918 with the Balfour Declaration being established in their land in 1948. So they have been resurrected nationally and very... Soon, in the not-so-distant future, most likely right at the end of the tribulation, they're going to be resurrected spiritually. But this is a national resurrection of, of Israel. Let's grab number five here. Number five. The fifth resurrection is your favorite. Your favorite. Amen? Take your Bible, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The fifth resurrection is the resurrection of the child of God at the rapture. Now, you all know this, but this is the next thing on the list. This is the next thing that you and I are we're waiting for the Lord to return. We're watching for him to return. 
and uh, we're looking for him to return. Amen? And the moment he returns, he'll meet us in the air and we'll be resurrected out of here. All right, this is the big one. Uh, you'll remember back in Matthew chapter, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it talks about Christ being the first fruits. Amen? And since Christ was the first fruits up here in this one, and that word in the King James Bible is first fruits, S, of course, making it plural, that makes this one possible. That means somebody went up with them. Now, some of you have had a garden before, or your parents had a garden, and there's always the first fruits in any garden. You'll have first fruits, and they come on uh, sporadically early. And then you have the main thing called the what? Harvest, right? Harvest time. And then you'll have some scragglers at the end. What do you call those? Those are gleanings. In the scriptures, you have three things. You have first fruits, harvest, and you have gleanings. First fruit took place at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The harvest takes place at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the gleaning takes somewhere towards the end of the tribulation. And those are Jewish saints. You're 144,000. But this is the big one here. Oh, by the way, there's three groups in, uh, in your gardening. There's first fruits, there's harvest, and there's gleanings. And there's three times only in the King James Bible, your Bible says, come up hither. Come up hither. And Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, describing that, that uh, rapture that we're talking about right now, it says, come up hither. You see that? Isn't that interesting? Only in the King James Bible. If you got an NIV, an ASV, an ESV, or a modern monkey version, they all mess with that thing and take it out. Only in the King James Bible. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, it says, With a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. You got a group of, uh, they call themselves realists out there. And they say, well, I don't believe in the rapture because it's not in the Bible. Well, that's funny. They all have a cell phone, and cell phone's not in the Bible either. Some of them own Buicks, and they don't even make Buicks anymore, do they? Some of them own Pontiacs. They don't make Pontiacs anymore. Realists. Uh, they're fools. Then we which are alive and remain should be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And you know what Paul says? Wherefore, comfort, comfort one another with these words. Listen, I'm all about keeping this pulpit as hot as I possibly can and the ability that I have to preach hot and you call it pre preach it hot and heavy and fire. I'm all about that stuff and I understand that the reason our country is in a mess is because all the pulpits have gone ice cold and the preachers shut their mouth and stopped telling the truth a long time ago. But Paul says comfort one another with these words. You go throughout the book of First Thessalonians, you know what you're going to find out? You're going to find edification. You're going to find comfort. You're going to find gentleness. Towards what? Lost people? Christians. Paul's converts. He was gentle to them. And uh, you know what Christians need? I used to think that just because I believe the Bible in a certain way that everyone ought to get in line and click their heels like I do. But you know what? Some people just need comfort. You can never go wrong giving somebody comfort. <clears throat> You can never go, get, go wrong giving somebody grace. And Paul said you're going to have to comfort one another. That means right now, if you believe your Bible, it's sitting in front of you, that you and I both have a command right now to comfort anybody right now. You say, about what? Well, uh, it's not going to last forever. <laughs> Isn't that a blessing? That's comforting. 
this is not going to last forever. Amen? You are not always going to be tempted. Uh, you are not always going to fail the Lord. Somebody say amen for crying out loud. You're not always going to be lonely. Comfort one another with these words. You're not always going to be frustrated. <laughs> now, if you, don't, if you don't get frustrated, man, I want to hang around you. Sometimes I just get so frustrated you want to spit because anything else you do is just sinning. <laughs> My wife and I were driving down the road and she spit out the window the other day. I didn't even know gals did that. Went all over the back window and everything. <laughs> I'm in trouble for saying that. I'm like, oh, that's why I married her. I'm like, that was so cool. She just spit out the window. It was mouthwash. And I looked back all over the back window. Amen. But you know what? We're not all, <laughs> you're not always going to be frustrated. Amen. Uh, you're not always, you're not always going to be broke. <laughs> now, some of you young ones, listen, you're not always going to be broke and not able to pay all the bills. You will for a little while, though. How about this one? I'm supposed to comfort you. You're supposed to comfort other Christians with these words. Why? Because you know what? Your dreams are not always going to go up in smoke. Your plans and your dreams and your, uh, you know, they say shoot for the stars. <laughs> yeah, shoot for the stars. <laughs> and I go up in smoke, right? I had an idea and the Lord called me to preach or come back and eventually... I'd get to Bible school, and uh, I'd be a flaming evangelist. Not like a flaming, you know, weirdo, but, but you know, just non-fire evangelist. That never happened. And by the time I got to be in evangelism, you ready for this? I didn't know how to preach. And that was, uh, that was 16 years later, 14 years later, rather. You say, well, that's your fault. Okay, I was trying, did the best I could. I'm just saying, I'm trying to comfort you here. I know we're talking about this resurrection, about the rapture of the child of God, but your dreams aren't always going to go up in smoke. There's going to be end of it one of these days. The Lord's going to come, and brothers and sisters, we're getting out of here. I would like to go from this building. Amen? Amen. I'd like to just blow all the windows right out of this place. And Can you imagine people coming here in the middle of the tribulation going, why is this place such a wreck, you know? You know during the tribulation, if this place ain't burned to the ground, there'd be a, it'd be a full bunch of squatters. Place this big, probably turn it into a hospital. Probably will be. That'd be fitting because it's always been a hospital. There's always been a bunch of sick people, amen, a bunch of triage units. We got triage units for the little ones, amen. Got triage units for the young people. Triage units for the not-so-young people. And the Lord's coming back and we're getting out of here. Take your Bible, go to Romans chapter 8. Trying to comfort you tonight. Talking about these seven resurrections. They're absolutely locatable in the King James Bible. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You remember when you were a kid and uh, you had a piece of intel, information, and uh, you were instructed by your dad or your mom to go tell one of your siblings to do something? And you know what you would do? You'd go into that room and said, well, dad said to, Right? You know why I preface this King James Bible and the Lord so much? Because it's his book. I'm no authority. Man, good grief, I'm authority on nothing. I'm not even authority on chainsaws for crying out loud. Amen? But the Lord's the authority on this book. 
And he told us to comfort one another with these words. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, the Bible says, But if the Spirit of Him, this is good now, the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your what? Mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. You know what's wrong with your body right now? It's dead. <laughs> it's wore out. Amen. It's time for a new one. You know, I mean, you get knee replacement, hip replacement, I don't know, uh, elbow replacement, shoulder replacement, and hind end replacement, and all the rest of that stuff. But one of these days, the Lord's going to quicken your mortal body, and you're going to be gone. Look at it again. The spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. That means if you're saved and you receive Jesus Christ, you realize what kind of power you have in you. You have a power system, here's your pulp culture reference, that's greater than Iron Man. You see what I mean? You know what all these Marvels and all these Fruit Loop uh, movie companies, you know what they're, they're, all their movies surround, you know all that movie is around? The Marvel movies and uh, the ones made by James Cameron, you know what they're always looking for? A never-ending power supply. One that is renewable. You know what? There's only one renewable energy source, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. That's a lost man trying to explain why, uh, what, what a, a supernatural body's like. And he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. Amen? And if you have Jesus Christ inside of you, you have His Holy Spirit. That's Colossians chapter 2. And you have a power in your body that can get you from the ground. Uh, let's just say, uh, what, two and a half million light years away is the Andromeda, ga uh, Andromeda galaxy. <laughs> I mean, just like, bam, like that. Uh, if you had uh, Jesus Christ inside of you, you have his Holy Spirit, it'll blast you from here to the farthest constellation. I know they say the farthest constellation is uh, found in Ursa Major, but a couple of years ago it was, they were saying it was uh, oh, oh, Orion. But now they're saying Ursa Major has one there. That's 39 billion light years away. I can't even think that long. I have the wrong amount of zeros. <laughs> That's 39 what? To the ninth, uh, what is that, ninth power? Yeah, I think so. No, that'd be 12th power. All right. And you have, uh, you have a power in your body that can do incredible things. Amen. And that Bible says in 1 Corinthians, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, you're going to have that power. That's exceptional power. Uh, you think about uh, when we were kids, uh, the big thing was, uh, you know, they had Christian school here. The big thing was let's get the TV and let's get all around the, you know, the TV. The TVs were like this big, you know, and it just had a little screen like that. I remember those. And they'd go around there all like bright eyed and like, we're going to watch the space shuttle blast off, you know, from Cape <laughs> Carnival. We didn't care. We weren't doing schoolwork. It was super exciting. And so around 80, 81, they do one, and 82 and 84, uh, they, you know, the Lord blows this thing off the, off, off the, right off the path, man. But you get these guys down in Cape Carnival, uh, and uh, their little circus show, and they're blowing rockets, uh, you know, go, go to the moon, and then come back, and then go to the moon and come back. You know what that is? That's kid stuff. You say, what do you mean? In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. You have the spirit of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ inside of you, and you have a renewable power source 
and when called for, it's going to blast you from here to the third heaven like that. And when you blast from here, from this first heaven, and you enter that second heaven, you know who lives in that second heaven? That's where the devil lives. So then you get over to Hebrews, and it says, uh, He'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's the direct context of that. You say, why? Because when you blast from here to there, and you enter the second heaven there, that's the devil's domain. He's in prince and power of the air. So what happens there is the Lord's promised us that when we leave this place, He'll never leave us nor forsake us. That's a blessing. But I'm telling you, the power that's inside of your body is far more advanced than anything they have in NASA, far more than anything they have in the power company down here. Now, I would suggest you try to grab onto, you know, 440 and hang onto it, amen. <laughs> but you've got a whole lot more power inside of you than that. And when I leave this world, I'm going to go so fast that those little rockets, they, uh, they blow back and forth there. It's going to look like tricycles trying to chase a jet, amen. And that's what that thing is going to be like. One of these days, he's going to come, and I'm going to leave. And I'm looking forward to it. You say, why? Well, my body's been purchased. It can't stay here. <laughs> and then, y'all remember layaway? Remember doing layaway? <laughs> I'm putting some of y'all asleep here. But, you know, layaway, you know, you, you, know, you put so much down, and you had however you know, much time to pay the rest of it off. Kmart was, they didn't pay originate layaway. You know what the Lord did when you got saved? He put a down payment on you. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. This is good stuff. Ephesians chapter 1. The Lord's the original layaway guy. I remember going back there. I remember with my mom. I was a little kid, you know. And, and uh, you know, I remember, I think we had bikes one time on layaway. And, oh, I, just, oh, I see those bikes. Oh, I'm, just, I'm just so excited. I'm going to get a new bike. And, you know, I had, what, 14 weeks ago or something like that. Just zap all the energy out of you. But anyways, you pay a little bit now, and then you pick it up later. Well, that's the way the Lord is. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, the Bible says, In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the, there it is, earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. You ever see that old bumper sticker? I haven't seen it lately, but a bumper sticker on the back of a piece of junk says, don't laugh, it's paid for. Hey, don't laugh, it's paid for. Amen? I, I know the knees are shot. I mean, the one's better, amen? But uh, wrists are shot, uh, you know, hips sore. Uh, it's usually out of proportion, out of balance, out of adjustment. But don't laugh, it's paid for. Don't matter what you think, one day it's out of here. <laughs> amen? We're getting out of here. And some days, uh, someday I'll get the purchased possession. The purchased possession. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. Take your Bible, go back to Romans 8. I want you to see this. You're going to be changed. We're talking about the resurrection of the child of God at the rapture. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now for the most part, this is uh, not new. It might be new to some of y'all, but not very many of you. Look at 1 Corinthians 6.20. Let's review what you already know. The Bible says, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your, you see that, body, and in your spirit, which are God's. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you asked God about your body at all? You know, Christians are terrible. 
the Lord bought their body and then they deal with it themselves. If he's the resident, shouldn't he be the president? The old preacher said if he's the boarder, he ought to be the boss. But Christians treat their body like a dumpster. They don't ask the Lord what to put in it. They don't ask the Lord what to do. Yeah, it's all my body. You don't fill the thing full of holes and paint it like it's a graffiti billboard and all that stuff. But if it belongs to the, if it belongs to the Lord, don't you think you ought to ask him about it? Well, you know, that's a different thing. Is it really? I mean, my Bible says that they're for a year bought with a price. You remember what that price was? That price was blood. If someone came along and purchased you with blood, didn't you think you'd probably ask the master before you did anything with your body? Well, now you're taking a little bit too literal. How could you not take it literal? <laughs> I'm doing some preaching, amen. Not, not only your body, but your spirit. And God bought your spirit too. And it makes you wonder why some Christians have such a rotten, terrible spirit when God's the one that purchased that thing. All right, so you've been saved, you've been paid for, that's the truth, and someday you'll get the purchase possession, and you'll get the purchase possession at the rapture, you'll be changed. Now look at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse, 50, for, for, verse 50. Now this stuff should be coming repetitious for you. It ought to become a repeat and a repeat, and it ought to start clicking. The more we cover this stuff, it ought to be like, yeah, man, this is, this is it. This is, the, this is the real deal. Look at verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit what? Kingdom of God. That's a spiritual kingdom. The Bible says seek ye first the what? Kingdom of God. It never teaches you to seek you the kingdom of heaven, does it? Kingdom of heaven is a physical, literal kingdom on this earth that's ruled by a Davidic leader. During the millennium, it will be the Lord Jesus Christ. So the kingdom of God is how you and I get into God's kingdom. You see that? And he says, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So we have to get what? We have to get changed, right? You and I can't go the way we are. See, the inside's all right because he's on the inside, right? But this thing, this thing's a mess. This thing's a wreck. And this thing can't inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. You see that? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And he says when this thing takes place, look at verse 53, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? You ever wonder why it seems like it's so repetitious there? I always have for many years. Why is it so repetitious? You know, mortal and immortal and corruptible and incorruptible, so forth and so on. And you got, you know, the, when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortal shall put, then shall be brought to pass, you know, death is swallowed up in victory. Then it says, oh, death, where is thy sin? Okay, we get it. Oh, grave, where? why the repetition? Because there's two classes that he's talking about. Two classes. Two classes that go up at this resurrection. He said when he comes, there will be people in the graveyard corrupting. That's in verse 4. And they're going to come out of the grave, right? Then he says, O grave, where is thy victory? Why? Because it's empty. <laughs> Amen. The grave loses the victory. That's the first class. The dead in Christ, what? They rise first. Amen. He said, well, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. I don't know. It sounds to me like the ones in the grave, they go first class. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first, you'll think about that, and you'll get it a little bit later, amen? Then there's going to be people standing here who will not be subject to death. That'd probably be me. I don't want to die. 
You say, oh, you don't? You don't either. That's why you take care of yourself the way you do. <laughs> Amen? That's why when, you, when, you, when you, you hurt, you're like, oh, help me, honey. I, I don't feel good. You know, all, all the men, they become little girls. But anyways, but there's going to be people standing here and not be subject to death. They'll go up without dying, verse 54. And then Paul says about it in verse 55, oh, death, where is thy sting? You see, two classes. Death, where is thy sting? That's one class. Grave, where is thy victory? That's the other class. Go to John 11. Let's look at this one again. Two classes. Not only in 1 Corinthians 15, but you see the two classes in John chapter 11. Three places you see these two classes. John, uh, the Lord says uh, in the book of John chapter 11, verse 26, He says, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me, there's one class, shall never die, right? John eleven twenty five. the verse before that, he says, He that believeth in me, though he were dead, there's a second class, yet shall he live. Two classes. Two classes in 1 Corinthians 15, two classes in John chapter 11. Go back to our text about the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4. Three places you find these two classes. Two classes of people going up at the rapture. The resurrection called the rapture. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. There's one class in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And the verse before that talks about the dead in Christ shall rise first. There's another class. In other words, I know you know this, but one day, maybe today, be very soon, there'll be like a giant clap of thunder, a flash of lightning, however that thing goes, and you're going to hear your name called. You say you believe that? Absolutely. Look at John 10. John 10. John 10, verses 3 and 4. John chapter 10, verse 3 and 4. The Bible says, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They know his voice. I believe you're going to hear that clap of thunder or flash of light, however that thing rolls, and then you'll hear your own name called. And then you know what you're going to hear? You're going to hear, come up hither. I believe you'll hear your name called, come up hither, and you're gone. <laughs> you won't have time to do anything. And that's the, that's the uh, fifth resurrection there, the resurrection of the child of God at the rapture. Now here, let's grab number six. This is the resurrection of Moses and Elijah. Go to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Resurrection of Moses and Elijah. Now this, of course, is dealing with the uh, two witnesses there in the book of uh, Revelation chapter 11. Never mind what the Bible correctors say about it. It's not Enoch. It's not the man on the moon either. This thing is easy as the nose on your face. Revelation chapter 11, here's the sixth resurrection, about the two witnesses. You say, why is it Moses and Elijah? Well, I'll just give you a couple reasons here uh, before we just kind of detail a little bit. Both Moses and Elijah are on Mount Sinai for 40 days. Uh, both Moses and Elijah have ministers that follow them in their work. Uh, both Moses and Elijah, they cross uh, over waters miraculously. Uh, both Moses and Elijah are without food for 40 days and 40 nights. And Elijah calls down fire from heaven, and Moses smites the earth with plagues. 
Uh, Elijah didn't die, but uh, as you can see here in Revelation chapter 11, he will die in the tribulation. <laughs> but come on down Revelation 11, look at verses uh, 6 to 10. talks about these uh, two witnesses. During the tribulation, by the way, and you know this, we're not here. Uh, we're up getting our laundry done at the judgment seat of Christ and possibly even uh, partaking of the marriage supper of the Lamb. But in Revelation chapter 11, verse 6, he said, These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. Imagine a preacher alive today that could make it not rain. I bet you there'd be some farmers in church, man. <laughs> and have power over waters to turn them to blood. Well, that sounds like uh, Exodus chapter uh, 7, doesn't it? Or 8. And smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Verse 7, when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Verse 8, and their dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the city, the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. You know where they're at? They're in Jerusalem. Verse 9, and they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall, uh, uh, shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. Think about it. They terrorized the, uh, the leaders of the country so much, they're like, you ain't burying them suckers. You're going to leave them out and everybody's going to see it. See that? I'll read it again. And they of the people in kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies. You know how they do it? It's like this. Everyone's got a cell phone. That's how they're going to see it. TikTok will be blowing up. YouTube will be blowing up. Flakebook will be blowing up. Instagram and all the rest of that garbage. It'll be all over it. And they'll have absolute fun with it for three days. I mean, they cut their heads right off. <clears throat> and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them. How about that? They hated those preachers so much, they're rejoicing over it. And they make merry and shall send gifts one to another. Fa la 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 la. You see it? It gives you the time, don't it? It's Christmas time. Write in your Bible. 1110, they make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. I'm going to say they, uh, they get their heads cut off and they're lying in the street. Moses and Elijah get their heads whacked off for uh, being preachers and uh, preaching the, the gospel of the kingdom there in the tribulation. They're beheaded. You see that over in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. But then notice uh, in verse 8 to 10, it keeps saying their dead bodies, their dead bodies in verse 9. And finally, their dead bodies again. You know why it says that? Because you got a dead body here and you got a head over there. And they should have buried them when they had the chance. But even if they buried them and had a chance, the scripture still would have had to have been true. But uh, <clears throat> so while the crowd gathers around and gazes at them, the clouds lifted up. And verse 12, a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. I mean, talk about a wild sight. They're dead bodies. You know, when you cut someone's head off, you got all that junk falling out of the head and out of the neck, right? Not trying to be too gory here, but that's... I mean, anybody's watching any kind of junk on TV, that's what happens, you know. And, uh, you know, their head has to come together onto their body. Can you imagine that TikTok video? My, my, my. Hey, how are you? <laughs> you know, I lost my head there for a minute, but I got it back, you know. <laughs> and from that moment, every, every, everyone in the entire world was like, whoa, what has just happened? <laughs> gone 
Man, people be losing their minds. What a sight. And you want to know where Hollywood gets all their plots? It's right from the King James Bible. There's not one single plot that they didn't get from the King James Bible. And that is the resurrection of Moses and Elijah. Isn't that wild? That's wild stuff. Let's give you the seventh one here. Here's the resurrection of the unsaved dead with the millennial saints at the white throne judgment. Here's the resurrection of the unsaved dead and the millennial saints Spell millennial, right? Is that one N or two? And that's Revelation chapter 20. <clears throat> now, when we teach the white throne judgment, we always teach it as the unsaved dead. Amen. And actually, there's a little bit more than the unsaved dead there. And the reason we preach it and teach it that way is not to confuse uh, lost individuals who are in our churches, perchance, on a Sunday morning. Now, take your Bible, go just for a minute to Dan chapter 12. But when you get to the uh, white throne judgment, you're going to have millennial saints that have made it through. You realize there's going to be people that make it through the tribulation, right? And there's going to be people that make it through the millennium. And so at the white throne judgment, you're going to have all the unsaved dead along with, along with the millennial saints. And everyone has to face judgment. You see what I mean? No, the Bible says the point unto die and after this the judgment. So whether you make it through the tribulation or you make it through the millennium, so forth and so on, you still have to face judgment. But Daniel chapter 12, I'll look at verse 1 and 2. This will show you what's up there. Daniel chapter 12, Bible says, And at that time shall Michael stand up the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people, that's for the Jewish people, and there shall be a time of trouble. You know where you're at? That's the tribulation. Such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered. You know where you're at now? And every one that shall be found written in the book. Now here you go. You're advanced into the millennial, you're advanced right to the great white throne judgment. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. There'll be some people that make it through the millennium there, and they'll have to face judgment at the white throne judgment. But uh, this is the resurrection of the unsaved dead with the millennial saints. Now you, now you see why we say unsaved dead when we preach it that way, because that thing would be mighty confusing uh, for, for people who might not be churched. But this is the crowd that comes, and... This is the crowd that studies and gets the goods, so I think you can handle it. <clears throat> and uh, look at uh, verse 11 and 12. Revelation 20, verse 11 and 12. <clears throat> Bible says, And I saw a great white throne, <clears throat> and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Verse 15, And whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Now this is the last resurrection. 
it is a literal physical resurrection and up came all up come all the unsaved dead in this one you see the saved dead you know where they went they went up here at 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 15 52 they went on, on the saved dead they went out at the harvest 1 Corinthians 15 and they went out at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that's the rapture of the church and uh, <clears throat> that's where the saved dead go up but the unsaved dead they go up at this place and uh, I'm pretty sure everybody here is saved but just perchance if you're here today and not saved I don't know maybe some people are still fooling around with it but if you're not saved I'm going to show you what's in store for you okay now one of these days you're going to stand up there before God and face all these things and when you face God at this judgment the passage doesn't say there's any earth to stand on you uh if you're up at this uh, great white throne judgment, you're standing on nothing. You're standing on nothing. Why? The earth and the heaven fled away. Uh, you'll step out there in the white light and blink at that white light that no man can look at. It'll be looking into God the Father there. And, uh, and no man can look at it unless he's supernaturally sustained. And then you'll be up there and you'll hear that great voice that sounds like a mix between the Grand Canyon and Niagara Falls. And you'll drop that head of yours, and you'll look under your feet, and you'll see, hey, there ain't nothing under my feet. How am I standing here? Because he's holding you up. If, you get, if you're at this uh, resurrection, if you're at the great white throne judgment, you are standing on nothing. And eventually it's going to settle in that God controls everything. And if you happen to uh, get up at the great white throne judgment, you'll be standing on nothing, and it'll start to click. I believe it will. It'll start to click like, oh, my goodness. I lived my whole life, and I ignored the Lord Jesus Christ and had opportunities to trust him and to receive him, but I lived for myself, and I did what I wanted to do, and I didn't trust the Lord. And you're going you're gonna to look at yourself, and you're going to look at everyone else, and you're going to look underneath you, and you say, why ain't I fallen? Well, because the Lord's holding you up. You know what the Lord's going to do to every one of the millions or perhaps even billions that go through that judgment, he's going to hold them up long enough to, for, for them to realize that he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And when they bow and they confess and every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow, whew, depart from me, I never knew you. And down you go. And that's what awaits the man. Verse 15 says, And whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. It says this is the second death. Imagine people up there all full of religion and all full of themselves and all full of their efforts and, and, uh, and they'll say, Lord, but uh, you know all the great things that I did and all the things I did for the cause of education and all the things that I did for the cause of mental health and all the things that I did for the cause of the community and all the things that I did for the cause of society and all the things that I suffered and uh, I sacrificed so we could have a better world for our children and the Lord will say, Gabriel is his name in the book. And Gabriel will say, uh, Lord, no, his name is not. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you, ye that work iniquity. The bottom will drop out. And I don't know how far you'll drop. you drop, I don't know, 30, 40 billion light years into the lake of fire that burneth forever and ever. That's the seventh resurrection. And that's what facing a lost man. Uh, and you say, well, uh, praise the Lord, I'm saved. Praise the Lord. That stuff used to terrorize me before I got saved as a little kid. You say, why? Because it's sat under preaching. You can't sit under preaching and not hear preaching about hell. You say, well, you know, kids, they just don't understand. They understand a whole lot more than you give them credit for, that's for sure. 
Uh, amen to that. <laughs> but you know what? This is what your friends and families are going to face if they're not saved. You know who they are. Uh, I suppose maybe you ought to consider telling your lost family about Jesus Christ while we still have a little bit of 2023 left. You say, preacher, I know, it bugs me, but, but they never listen, and you're right. They're never going to listen if you're never going to tell them. You can't be told no if you don't ask. I know that's an old sales tactic, but you can't be told no. You say, what are, what are they telling you no to? Hey, wouldn't you like to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, enjoy the goodness of God, and go to heaven when you die? <laughs> well, yeah, but you can't be told no if you don't ask. One of the hardest things for any Christian to do is open his mouth and say, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? I mean, we can talk about weather, we can talk about politics, we can talk about tools, we can talk about building, we can talk about our hobbies, we can talk about our habits, we can talk about being married to the old ball and chain. <laughs> but when it comes to talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, a lot of Christians, well, the old cat got their tongue. And that, sure enough, is the truth. They're never going to listen if you don't ever tell them. Now, I wanted to switch that thing on you because I'm pretty sure not anyone here is going to be standing at that great white throne judgment. I sure hope you're not. But if you're not, I know you know some people who are. And what if, what if today the number gets called? What if today is the number gets called and you've never told them about the Lord? You realize at the great white throne judgment, you'll be there, but you're going to be in a jury box. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, don't you know that we'll judge angels? You know who's coming up at the great white throne judgment? All those fallen angels, all the sons of God. You know who's going to be the one to condemn them to eternity, a Christless eternity? All the saints of God, all the sons of God, John 1, 12, that replaced them. And you're up there in that jury box, and the Lord says, what do you say? And you're going to go, down you go. That's exactly what you're going to do. Why? Because you're part of the body of Christ. And in the body of Christ is the only place there's unity. Well, <clears throat> but they're never going to listen if you never tell them. You ever stop and think that somebody took the time to tell you about the Lord? Sure glad my mama told me about the Lord. And I got to thinking, if my mama told me about the Lord, I suppose somebody else deserves a shot at it. Somebody else deserves a shot at it. And maybe I'd just be the guy to tell them this week. Someone had courage enough to tell you the truth. Don't you suppose that your family deserves the same shot that you got? Well, there they are. There's the seven resurrections. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 15. Token resurrection of some Old Testament saints in Matthew 27. Then a spiritual resurrection of the nation of Israel. And then the resurrection of the child of God at the rapture. We covered that uh, in pretty much detail. Then the resurrection of Moses and Elijah. That's an interesting one. You ought to read up in Revelation chapter 11. It's a great chapter. Very informative. And then finally, the resurrection of the unsaved dead at the white throne judgment. And I hope it's been a blessing to you. All right, why don't you stand?